This is Raw Cut. Welcome to Life Bursts. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. Today we're going to be speaking to an inspiring, incredible woman who has overcome so many obstacles in her life and still going strong. Welcome to Life Bursts. And welcome to Julie. Thank you for coming in on today's show. You're welcome. Now, we're going to start with our first question, which is where did life start out for you? Um, I was a typical child and doing normal things until I was about five. And mm-hmm. then I ended up having lumps on the back of my hand, um, which were ganglions. And then it just progressed from there. Then I got diagnosed when I was seven. But that was because I was at the Royal Show with my mum and her partner and my family. And then it just started going downhill. My walking started going slow and everything else. So um, then... They took one blood test and that's why I ended up with well, polyarticulate juvenile arthritis. Okay. That's seven. So Right. And then I was straight into the hospital. So up until the age of seven, you had some symptoms, but you didn't quite know what they were. Yep. Um, what were some of the things that you had to deal with bet- up until the age of seven? Um, just the lumps on the back of my hand. Mm. And that was it. Right. No, no, nothing, no joint pain, no nothing until up to seven. Right. Uh, what about your family during this time? Tell tell us who your family is made up of when uh, you were younger. Mum, brother, sister, my dad's grandparents, um, my mum's mum and my mum's partner. And their kids as well. So, and that was it. And were they all in your household or no. were they? Okay. Oh, <laughs> that's good. I was wondering, I was like, hang on, there's a lot of people to be in your house. <laughs> no. no. Um, there was only my mum, myself, my sister and my brother until we ended up moving. My brother ended up moving up to my nana's at Murraybridge. And so what type of things did you used to get up to together when you were growing up before seven? Um, just normal kid stuff. Play with my brother's um, cars in the driveway and make dirt piles. And um, when I was five, I got told that I walked, went up the roof of my nana's house in Thailand Bend. And my brother and sister thought it was a good idea to take the ladder away. Uh-huh. So I walked off the roof and hit my head okay. on a rock. And no broken bones, no nothing. So you survived. I survived. <laughs> wow. What yeah. lovely siblings. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Sound like typical siblings to me. <laughs> <laughs> They're both older than me, so. Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. What's, what's, what is the age difference? There's 18 months between myself and my sister, and I think there's about five, 
nice. I think it's about five or seven years between myself and my brother. Okay. So, yeah. That's a bit of a gap. Big gap. A big gap. Well, yeah. What were some of the issues and struggles that came up because of that gap? Um, just when I got my disease, they, they um, didn't like it that mum had to spend so much time with me in hospital and mum wasn't giving them quality time. So that was a struggle. Still is. But, I mean, but I knew when I was faking it as well. Okay. So, yes. So you learn pretty quickly how to... (laughs) Get attention. Uh Yes. And brothers and sisters didn't like that so much. Nope. Yeah. They knew when I was... Yeah. But, I mean, it wasn't too bad. Um, What type of things did they do to try and get more attention from their parents? And I ask you that question because I know that there'll be some parents and siblings who might be going through similar situations where one of their children might be experiencing something that, you know, means that they have to have more attention than the other siblings do. So what type of things did your siblings do to get attention? Um, Act out and do stuff to make mum stop what she was doing and to, I think she, she did the best that she could as a single parent. Mm. So um, I think doing the, trying to figure out how to balance the situation. But there's times where my brother would go and stay with my nana and up in Marybridge or Talonburn so he'd be up there a lot. Mm-hmm. So it'd just be my sister and I. But, I mean, there were struggles. I think things were a lot better when I started going to um, a special school as well. So, but I think some parents can struggle, mm-hmm. but it depends on if they get that support on board to, uh, like, there and then, and if they don't, then they can struggle a lot more. And I think that's what my mum did, because she couldn't understand what was going on properly. So, what type of things did you and your sister do together when your brother wasn't there? Um, we would, we had a like, our street where we lived in. We had so many friends, mm-hmm. so we used to um, hang out with all our friends in the street, and. Or we'd go to the park or we'd, um, normally Jackie and I would go to our um, grandparents, my dad's mum and dad, for the weekends and that. So we'd go to bingo or we'd go shopping or we'd go to the beach. So just normal, normal things. Try and keep normal mm. as possible. So... If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. But sometimes there was difficult times, and sometimes if I had a flare-up, then that would take more time. Mm-hmm. So talk us through what a flare-up is. 
uh, flare-up is where um, all your joints are red, sore, can't touch them, can't move. Um, even the slightest touch, it would hurt so bad and make you cry. And I wouldn't wish it on anyone's on anyone to have a flare up. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the last flare up I had was when I was nineteen, but it's left me with limitations. So, um. I mean, you you would love to be able to do things and that, but, I mean, even scratching your ear or brushing your hair properly or feeding yourself, I mean, that's how bad it got. So, Do you remember your first flare-up that you ever had? Mm. I remember some of my flare-ups. I mean, I remember more going into hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, the longest I was in hospitals when I ended up with a um, my neck ended up being fused, not by an accident, not by an operation. Um, I was only eight. I was like six weeks flat on my back, couldn't move, couldn't sit up, and. I had to eat laying down, and that was the worst, worst time. What does that feel like? Try and explain it to people who might have, I've never had one of them happen before. Can you try and explain to us how that might feel or how that did feel for you? It's like being stuck stuck in a bed and not being able to move. Um, taking, someone taking away your ability to just be normal. Mm-hmm. And just to be able to play or get up, um, they had to put um, this chalk dust under my chin so it wouldn't go red. Um, but, I mean, I, the nurses were great. The doctors were great. And um, I just remember just, like the next time the next time I was had having to put a brace on and from what I got told by mum that I fell off the chair for some reason it was too heavy or I wasn't um able to handle it but I needed to wear it so mm-hmm. there were so many contraptions that I had to have mm. yeah what does the, uh, the brace that you're talking about, what does that look like back then? Because that was quite a while ago, like not 10 years ago or anything like that. No. So medicine has changed a lot. What did it look like for you? It's a, It was a Somi brace, so it went over your shoulders and came down to your, halfway down your chest. Okay. And then you had a piece that goes behind your head, okay. your neck, yeah. Yeah. and then a piece up the front so it keep your head up because I kept on always putting my head down. Oh, okay. So, and then my sister tried to punch me, but she ended up punching the semi brace. So she ended up with sore knuckles. Right. So, and so how long did you have to wear that for, and did they get the outcome that they wanted from it? Um, 
I think I wore it for over five, five or six years, but I still put my head down to the day, to this day. Mm-hmm. Because if I if I've had a fall or something, then I have to watch where I get scared where I walk. So I keep on putting my head down, which I shouldn't, but it happens. So yeah, but I I mean it did its work for the best part of what it needed to do. So. I think I went through about three different braces for my neck. Yeah. But, but yeah. Mm. It's a lot. <laughs> That's yeah. a lot. You know, people might be listening to this right now and some things might be coming up for for them about, you know, maybe there's some similarities between your story and possibly what they're going through. And can you tell us roughly like what year and, you know, like, time this this happened for you and how old you were through all of this uh 84 yeah yeah 84 i was seven i was richard's age wow yep i was seven richard is your son yes um i was seven when and then i got um when i got rushed into hospital they put me straight on into attraction so I had the had traction go from below my knee to my ankle, but then used the brown this brown tape. Mm-hmm. So when I was able to go and have a bath, the um, the nurses had to peel that brown tape off. So it's like I had a um, a, a wax. So I had uh. strips down the side of my legs. Right. So yeah, but that that happened off and on for about five, six, six years, I'd say. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to go over my records at home. Yeah. So yeah. Your mother, what did she do while all of this was going on? She tried to get the support. But there wasn't that much. There was support out there, but no one helped properly. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. We found one place to go to, and that was the Arthritis Foundation. Um, they were helpful to a certain point, but that was about it, and it felt like there wasn't that much support after. Mm. So um, I think it was just between rheumatology, physio, um, and that OT, that was the only help that we got throughout the first process. What type of support was your mother looking for? I think it was trying to understand the disease properly okay. because it, we felt it was new mm-hmm. and that. And because of the drugs that you get put on, it um, did damage and it wasn't, I don't think it was known properly with kids back then. Mm. That's what I think. Mm. Mm. So, um, I mean, you get you put a kid on aspirin, uh, three hundred and sixty-five milligrams three times a day, mm. and you bleed inside. So, and then you lose weight, and you're wondering why. 
Mm. So, but I mean, you do what you can, and that. So, and well, I mean, I think the things that um, Mum tried to do was um, because I had to wear braces at night, splints at night. So I had to have a hand splints and leg splints, and my leg splints were made out of plaster. Mm-hmm. And I kept on begging Mum to take them off. And she did sometimes, but then there are times where she just said, no, you have to wear them, you have to wear them. But... Yeah. And your story is is not really uncommon when you start going into the world of of juvenile arthritis and particularly of people or people that were kids in the 80s and 90s and 70s like this sadly is something that comes up a lot and so Julie from my experience I just want to let you know you're not alone with everything that you went through yeah even though at the time you felt like you were but you're not anymore which is why you wear that hoodie. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to take a break and we'll be back with more Life Bursts straight after this. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. And Julie, you've shared with us that life's dramatically changed at the age of seven as you were uh, diagnosed with juvenile arthritis. How did life practically changed for you uh, in that moment after your first symptoms? Um, I think it changed uh, when I couldn't go back to a normal school and I couldn't, I had so many in and out of hospital and I had to have so much physio, um, couldn't keep up with schoolwork and I mean, I had schoolwork in in the hospital. Um, a teacher came around to do schoolwork with me, and but going to a normal school that was just out of the question for me. Mm. So, wow. So you've talked about the flare ups and the, and how that left you uh, on your back and stiff, uh, but the everyday uh, changes that you experienced uh, was it pain? Was it stiffness? What what? How did it? Um, come out for you um it was more the um, the stiffness um i had to have a wheelchair um, with me every time i went for a walk um couldn't walk around like shopping centers um i'd be so tired and um it was such a heavy wheelchair um back then and mum would have to lift this um, wheelchair in the car um, just for me to go out and be normal for the day so um, apart from that it's just I mean I couldn't put my own socks and shoes on um, I'm just doing normal stuff um, trying to get on the ground and that um, mm. I don't even know what it's like to Cross your legs um, when you sit on the ground. So that was frustrating. Yes. So some some of our um, listeners and viewers would have heard Sarah's story and uh, some very similar 
um, mm. sort of things that you had to deal with growing up, but it, it affected your schooling, it affected your ability to do most things that an ordinary child yep. would ha- take for granted. Yeah. Mm. What types of things did you used to do in hospital for fun? Um, they had like people coming around and we'd, um, they'd have a play where, an area where you could go um, and play. They used to bring me some board games. Um, I had this one nurse, it's not a fun thing, but I had this one nurse, he didn't like my Cabbage Patch doll. And I woke up one morning and it was hanging off the rail by its head. And yeah, but um, no, I think the nurses helped. Um, I mean, between having, I I couldn't have so much fun that I wanted because I was like back and forth to having um, hydro and physio and then back to the ward. And um, I know there's one um, moment, um, I don't know if anyone knows the program called Family Ties. Um, oh, the TV show. The TV Family show. Ties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Michael Gross came in. Oh, wow. And he actually, I actually got to meet him in hospital. So that was a Very bonus. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. What did your mum think of that? Um, she was trying to get my hair brushed and it was difficult because I was like having, I had to lay down. So she was trying to do that. But no, it was good. What type of things did you talk about with him? Um, just about the movie, the program and how like I used to, I would be watching it and he'd ask how I was doing and that. And I mean, being in hospital, I don't think no kid likes to be in hospital. No, so, no. But that no, was good. It's exciting. So at some point you were able to attend a special school, you mentioned. Yeah. How did that change things? Um, Regency Park was a school where everything was there. So I was able to go swimming. I was able to have my medication, um, my schooling, my physio and my OT all in one spot and then get taken home at the end of the day. Um, That helped really well. So and then we got integrated out to different schools once a week and then it went from there so um it was good I mean we ma- I made some friends but it's hard to make friends when you're back and forth to hospital mm. so that's a one thing that is hard on me so I don't make friends that very often so it's a one difficult thing mm. yeah I can understand that so as you went through your schooling, um, and, and I imagine it was a, a whirlwind of hospital trips and, and, and pain and flare-ups and, and all those kind of things that you had to manage and it kept changing, did there come a point for you where you thought, um, I'm going to uh, get on with life the best I can? Um, and at what point did that happen for you, if it did? Um, I don't think... That started until after I was, say, 17. Mm. So, yeah, Um, because that's when 
I started having to have, well, 16, I started having to have um, my joints replaced. Right. So from there, it just, I mean, I was trying to make the best um, life I could mm. mm-hmm. and trying to be doing things normally and trying to interact with other people. And um, But it's hard when other people don't understand why you're sore, you can't do this or you can't go out when it's cold and that. Um, so, yes, I, I mean, I still I still struggle to this day. But, yeah, I think, yeah, 17 maybe. Mm. So, yeah. What was your teenage years like? What type of things were you able to get up to outside of going to school and um, going into hospital. How did that change when you were a teenager? I think going to my grandparents, I mean, I had a good life. Um, They made things a lot easier than that. Um, And just having um, my friends from the same area where I was brought up Mm -hmm. helped as well. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, I, it's, it's just hard trying to make new friends mm. and that. Because so. mm, you have to share your story again yep. and again and again and again. And, and that in itself gets tiring. And you having to, I remember having to share the story again and again and again with just doctors in general. So was yep. that something that you had to go through as well? And how did you overcome that? Um. I just say I just say to him that I've got arthritis and it hurts my joints, mm-hmm. and um, these are the things I can do. These are the things I can't do, and go from there. I mean, some people adapt to it and some people can't, and then you know who your friends are. Mm-hmm. So, but I mean, if it's to do with doctors or yeah. that. I mean, I find doctors that I know, mm-hmm. I work with who I know, then I don't have to go over and over and over again. So it's just a lot easier. That's handy. Yep. Um, and if this has brought up any for you, anything for you within your life, you can always contact Lifeline 13 11 14 uh, anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, because it's important to reach out for help if you need it. This is Life Bus with Sarah and Matt, and we'll be back soon. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. To help them, Go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut community service announcement. So, Julie, you have sort of gone over a bit that you had some joints replaced. Uh, Yep. Take us back to when was the first time that you had joints replaced and how old were you? Uh, I was 16 when I had both hips are they even allowed to do that? Wow. They're not allowed to do it now. They're not, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think they're allowed to do it that young anymore unless it's like a really, 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 really serious thing. Yep. Yeah. 
Okay. And then what happened next? So I had to um, learn how to walk again. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to learn, I had to try and sit up, and that was the difficult part. Okay. Um, it just, uh, I think um, it took three physios to get me up. Mm-hmm. So, and that's like once or twice a day. But they waited, for, waited like normal. If you if you're if you norm if you're a normal person that has a hip replacement, they get you up straight the next day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But they waited four days yeah. to get me up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, it just went from there. Um, what does it feel like to have two hips replaced? No pain, but you have to be careful. You can't cross your legs, yeah, or you'll get clots. Okay. Um, or you can um, pop a hip. So um, there's times where I will cro- cross my legs, but then I'll get told not to. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just not having the pain. Yeah. But don't go through a metal detector. Mm. Okay. <laughs> You're yeah. like, there's a fun story there. Don't <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> go through a metal detect. Okay, what happened? Come on. Um, I went and saw my auntie and uncle off at um, the airport. Yeah. Oh, no, it was my auntie, sorry. And um, went through the metal detector and they wanted to strip search me. And James said, no, you're not allowed to, you're not going to do that. He stepped in front. And he said, well, get your wand and go over these parts and there's metal there. And, yeah, that's what they did. But I had to – it happened again, but they didn't say they wanted to strip search me. Mm. But, yeah, metal detectors don't like me. No. So So do you have to, like, carry a, like, certificate or something, maybe? No, not at all. Okay. They don't – we've talked about that and they don't accept them. At all, so um, be a long list of replacements. So yeah, um, but on the upside, no pain. No pain, which would have been a significant mm-hmm. thing for a sixteen-year-old. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, once you once you'd recovered. Yep. Uh, but that wasn't the first of the joint replacements. No, I've got both shoulders and both knees all replaced. Um, and I've got a left ankle fused because my ankle was kicking in and I was it was kicking the back of my heel so that I had to get get fused. So um, they took a piece of about that much of the bone on the outside has gone. How much is that for people who are like... I don't know. ...listening rather than watching... Under, well, Matt. Under, under, <laughs> well, they're like under, seven centimeters. Seven, seven, <laughs> <laughs> like ten centimeters. Okay, okay, cool. Like but, ten centimeters of bone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, so a lot of this happened in your teenage, late teenage years. Late teens, early twenties. Mm. Um, I've had my I've had a um le- my left hip got um had a left hip revision done mm-hmm. um, and, it, I mean, it's fine, it's okay. Um, 
they're only supposed to last the new the old ones are only supposed to last about 15 years the new new ones last a lot longer mm. um with my right one um it has to get um done soon because it's overdue it's going on for about just under 30 years so the question i really want to ask is that does it feel like you have replacements in you? Um, no. Okay, so it just feels like it, normal bone. Yeah, until you do something that you're not supposed to do. Ah. Uh. <laughs> um, okay. Or unless you see the scars. Right. So. Or through the metal detector. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, but, yeah, I just... You're not supposed to do certain things. You're not supposed to bend the knee on your knees. I've tried that. But, yeah. Now, there is a special gentleman sitting out there watching this happen. Not your son. You can calm down, <laughs> Richard. We know you're out the back there. <laughs> How did you meet James? Um, my brother... Um, just um, left his wife and he came back to live with my mum and James rang the house phone and I was wondering who James was because he went under a different name. He had a nickname uh-huh. and no, I won't say it. Okay. Probably <laughs> <laughs> not appropriate by the sounds of it. Yeah, it, it's funny but not to James. Okay. Um, <laughs> Poor bloke. <laughs> But I asked my brother and that's when he said um, his nickname. I'm thinking, what? So, but I had a crush on him when I was younger. So uh-huh. it went from there and he came down and nearly 20 years. Yeah. Coming up in November. Aww. So he's been through a lot with me. Mm. That's so a exciting. It's young... Women, like, as I can speak from my experience, is a lot of young girls, when they're living with juvenile arthritis, they think that, like, nobody is going to love them, you know? No one's going to want to be with them. No one's going to want to put up with all of their pain and all of the doctor's appointments and infusions and joint replacements and everything. And so when I met you, Julie, I was like, you are just another inspiration to all of those young girls and those teenagers out there that you can be loved and you can be cared for by yeah. someone else. And it's good and it's good to good to know that the person that you fall in love with knows your limitations and knows you instead of knowing knows you more than knowing you've got a disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and James has been around since the get go. He knew about my disease. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's one big bonus. Mm. But he didn't, I mean, some people don't sign up. Um, partners don't sign up for what the outcome is and what happens and what can happen. So. Mm. It's the story that you have, your story uh, if you were to be born like 10 years later, that's what I always think about. If you were to be born 10 years later, medical science has moved so far beyond anything we could ever imagine within treatment for everything that you've 
you've gone through. Yep. Um, how does that make you feel, knowing that? I would have liked to been able to have the treatment that's out there now mm-hmm. because if the if I got that treatment, then my joints wouldn't have ravished my body as quickly as it did. Yeah. And that's the worst part. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Worst part. That's, that's the big thing. Yeah. And even though your story is common, it doesn't, the same effects that you have now aren't sort of the same effects that kids get these days nope. because there is that really strong medication that comes in forms of infusions or injections every day that changes their bodies in different ways but ultimately allows them not to have this arthritis just ravage and manipulate through their whole body yep. instead. Yeah. Yep. Now, we will talk about Richard because he's sitting out the back our producer Reese, listening to all of this and watching it on the screens. Uh, Richard actually is a pretty special story. Um, I'd love for you to share that with us. You don't need to go into like lots of detail no. and things like that because there are children watching this. Yep. <laughs> but, yeah, no. <laughs> it is a really special story. Well, I didn't know I was pregnant. Okay. Um, I didn't know until I was about... Three, oh, first scan was done at, I got done and I was um, over three months pregnant. So, because I thought that I was, it was my arthritis playing up because I was so tired and so fatigued and Mm -hmm. um, that, and I just thought it was that. Mm -hmm. And I didn't take any notice, didn't take note of anything. So I just let it go. And then, yeah. And then Richard came. And then Richard came. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with more life bursts and more stories of Richard, just for his enjoyment, straight after this. <laughs> if you think more people should listen to this, share this podcast on social media. On Life Burst, we're chatting to Julie. Julie, uh, having having a child, having Richard, um, it changes life for everyone. But for you, uh, how did uh, how was that significant? Um, I had to make sure that I had the right pram. Um, didn't matter to the clothes that much because, I mean, buttons um, I was able to work with. Um, my GP told me to pick out a lightweight pram, so okay. I did that. Um, James helped a lot. Uh, I think it's just when he got a bit older, he, he was getting heavy, mm-hmm. and he liked um, being in his harness when I went in my electric wheelchair. So that's how I used to get him around, and that. So yeah, how's it been like being with you now? Still he, electric he's, wheelchair. He's a clinger. <laughs> He's a clinger. Do you hear that, Richard? <laughs> <laughs> he, he's more clingy at the moment than ever because of um, my operation. Yeah. Um, and that's a lot more difficult. He likes to play. He likes to tug a wall and get me around my neck and pull me back and it hurts. Should we bring Richard in? Do you want to come in, Richard? He's very good at opening the top doors, <laughs> listeners and people who are watching. 
I see you're wearing okay. the appropriate attire to uh, be pulled down by the neck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These are always good for that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put a but, picture up of Richard and you guys on the screen. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's just, he, I mean, love him to bits, but it's hard for him to know where that cutoff is mm-hmm. because he doesn't know mm. um, that mum's got sore joints. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's super helpful. He'll help me more than he'll help James. Um, he's got to the point where he'll want to try and help me pull my jumper down or um, pick things up from the floor. He'll help me with that. Mm. Um, or he'll get my elbow crutches for me in the morning or wherever they are. Um, he's tried to do my hair, but it, he mucks around with my head too much and hurts my <laughs> neck. But he's a he's an easy he can be an easy going kid. He gets himself in trouble. <laughs> I mean, I'll tell him off and um or tell him that he needs to pick things up off the floor or I'll fall over. So we're trying to get him to understand that. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. but it's coming. It's, mm. it's getting there. So he is seven. He's seven. He'll get there. That's right. He's seven. Okay. Right at the roof filing stage. Here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, he, he loves. He loves his. I mean, I try to do. Try to get him into doing a lot of things. Um, I mean, I take him to. He still sits on my lap. Mm-hmm. So I, I'll take him to school. Um, when I can, um, and then I'll pick him up in the afternoon and that. So I'm take him to the park. I'm glad that there's about three or four parks close by. So, yeah. Tell us about this hoodie that you're wearing. It's a lovely hoodie. Okay. It's warm. I know, right? <laughs> it's, it's not so hot. And it's not so bulky either. Thank you. But, yes. That's a compliment. So what does kids arthritis mean for you? What has it meant for you over the years? It's opportunity to meet um, really good people like Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also good to meet other parents that have kids with arthritis. Um, But it's also um, nice to meet other parents that also have arthritis as well. Mm-hmm. So um, you just click. And for Richard, it it also um, lets him see that other kids have arthritis as well. And he has fun meeting other kids. And it's just time to vent and time to chat and catch up so it's it's a good thing i know i know one person that um i will thank for me meeting up with sarah and that's jenny mm-hmm. so she's know <laughs> hooked us up she did so yeah but yeah i just it's just another avenue to get to get out to meet people and that so yeah and listening to your story it's just something that i wish that your mother and your siblings 
and your grandparents yeah. could have had around. Yeah. I feel like your story would have been a lot different if there was that support there in that way. Yep. Be a lot easier. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have to explain myself. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. You just give them a website or give them a pamphlet and it, it'll all make sense. Yep. Yeah. And so you've been uh, involved in kids' arthritis um, events for quite a while now. Yeah. What are, what are some of the, the highlights that, uh, for you that have happened over the years? I think Arthur's Big Blue Night is one of the best things. Um, Arthur's Picnic. Um, and I think just catching up in general and just being able to chat and not have to worry about being sore or having to hide the pain and mm. that because everyone knows that, mm. yeah, you got pain, so it's okay. And um, if you have to leave early or you have to have pain relief, you don't have to hide it. Mm. That's right. So, yeah. And Arthur, for those who Arthur. are wondering, is Arthur the Kids Arthritis Fair and he's on your T-shirt. And Arthur. Now he gets to be everyone else's teddy bear and not just mine. Yes. <laughs> Growing up. Yeah. Really exciting. Thanks for sharing those things about the organisation that I founded. Of course. <laughs> be a bit hard sometimes to ask those questions in interviews with people, like, you know, how is the work that I have done and so many other people changed and impacted your life. And it's just incredible from my point of view to see how much you have changed and the fact that you're being interviewed on a podcast and a radio show Mm -hmm. and a video podcast right now. Is that something that you ever thought that you would be able to do? No, not at all because I'm I'm just a person that just keeps to themselves Mm -hmm. and personal and doesn't share much. So I know Richard shares a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's just I think it's good to get out there and talk about the disease. I mean, I know you, people don't want to call it a disease, but for me, it, I, at the end of the day, it is a disease and it does damage to your body, it does damage to your joints. And I think that it's harder if people don't understand what it is Mm. or don't have the knowledge that's Mm. out there. Mm. But at the same time, it doesn't define who you are. No. It's just one part of the many aspects that make up who you are, Julie. Totally. And how does it make you feel when you start sharing your story with other people at kids' arthritis groups and events? I think it, it's it's okay. It's You don't have to hide anything mm-hmm. because they know. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you don't have to finish the sentence before they go, yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. And they'll give input. Mm-hmm. Um, I like getting the input. But it's harder to, um, when you hear other medications that are out there, that, oh, no, I haven't tried that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, I think that listening to people's stories, that it 
um, makes you appreciate life mm-hmm. more than anything. Mm. In your minute that we have left of the show, uh, what type of uh, what piece of advice do you want to share with the children out there of this world who might be experiencing juvenile arthritis right now? I think determination and keep going and not allow your disease or your juvenile arthritis dominate your life and find ways of making your life better and making the day, making things things bigger than it should be. Mm-hmm. And to not allow you, not allow other people to pull you down and stop you from doing what you want to do. Fantastic! So that's amazing. That's incredible. And for you to sit there and say that is even more powerful than anyone else doing it. So thank you, Julie, so much for coming in on the show today and sharing a burst of your life with us. Cool. Yeah, thank you. I've learned some things. It's certainly been, uh, it's always good to hear and to to spread the word about um, what you're going through and what others are possibly going through Mm. as well. Mm. Yep. Mm. This has been Life Burst. You can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from and on YouTube and Facebook as well as videos. Uh, I'm Sarah. And I'm Matt. Thanks again for joining us. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman. With production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshra Ozadigan. With additional assistance by Brett Freeman. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a Rawcut production.